Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast episode 60. Today we've got a really exciting special edition of the podcast for you because today you're going to hear some of the live show that we recorded thanks to General Assembly NYC. Thanks again to everybody in New York who came out to support the podcast. We had wine, we had cheese, we had the chance to connect with fellow Bossed Up listeners, and of course meet these incredible guests and hear all of this interviewing happening live. So if that sounds like a good time for you, you're in luck. I'm hosting our next live show in Washington, D.C., coming up soon on Monday, October 22nd. I'll be in town to speak at a conference for a nonprofit anyway, so I said, why not add this to my calendar? And of course, D.C. women always show up for Boss Up, which I so appreciate. We are already half sold out. We have 50 people registered. We have 100-person capacity, and I want to thank iStrategy Labs for helping make that evening possible. So again, our next live show is coming up on October 22nd in Washington, D.C. You can get all the details and register to join us now in the link in your show notes. And that show is going to be all about women and wealth. I'm talking with some of my favorite financial advisors and money mavens all about the wealth gap in this country. We talk a lot about the pay gap between men and women, but the wealth gap is even worse. And I know this makes me sound like such a capitalist when I say it, but I firmly believe that that women growing our power and growing our wealth is part of what will change the nature of our world. So there's nothing wrong with getting your money and building a legacy for your family and building that kind of intergenerational wealth is what I really want to see more women do personally and professionally. So that's what that show is going to be all about. I hope you'll join me there. Now, this live show that was recorded in New York City last month uh, was all about women in STEM. And really, we should call it STEAM because it's science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. And you'll see why arts is a big part of the conversation today, because what you're going to hear today is the main interview that I conducted at our live show with Natalia Shelburne. Now, Natalia was of interest to me on a lot of different levels. And I have to give you all a shout out for those of you who commented on my Facebook post when I shared that I was looking for a woman in, in STEM fields to interview. I mean, Kirby, my production assistant and I, in the midst of all my crazy wedding vacation and taking a few weeks off for my wedding, Kirby was vetting like every single person that you all recommended because we had like 30 to 50 women that, whose names came in the door and we looked them up and we thought, okay, would this be the right fit for this particular show? And when we stumbled upon Natalia Shelburne's name, we were like, this is the boss for this episode because Natalia 
is a woman in tech, no doubt about it. She's a UX designer for a little publication you may have heard of called the New York Freaking Times, right? She has clearly made her way in the world of tech in New York City. She's also someone who's navigated a major career transition. She started in the world of nonprofit advocacy and art teaching. She's an artist at her core. She's a talented cartoonist. She's a designer with a with a lot of artistic background and, and strength in that way. And she's also a speaker. She's someone who teaches a lot. She's someone who talks a lot about these topics. And, you know, I've done a lot of work in the past. You may have heard the double episode that Bridget and I put together back when I was co-hosting the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast all about women in Silicon Valley. And when I've talked about women in tech in the past, to be completely honest, it was a pretty doom and gloom conversation. For instance, you may have heard me mention the statistic that women are leaving tech at twice the rate than men are, right? Tech can be a very hostile work environment, for women. But when I started looking up Natalia's work, what I found most interesting about her were some of her writings on medium.com, all about how she wants to reframe that narrative. She personally has had a very positive experience as a woman in tech. And that's by no means to invalidate the experiences of women who haven't had such a great time in tech or have been faced with un fathomable amounts of sexism and racism or both or just hostile work environments and toxic masculinity in the office. But Natalia wants to be a vocal advocate for getting more women into tech because her whole life, especially as a multi-passionate person, she was told to really double down on her soft skills, lean into your nature when it came to how much you love teaching or how much you love art. And her computer science infatuation as a child was squashed by society in a world that said, well, you know, it's kind of a hostile place for women to be. So Natalia is on a mission of sorts to really reframe that narrative and show so many other people out there the positive side of being a woman in tech. And that, to me, was the most exciting part of this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Natalia drops a ton of truth bombs. You'll hear a few different questions from me about her many different passions and some of her personal life as well, which made her just such an engaging and interesting interview guest. I hope you enjoy the interview. And for those of you who want to see me do this live, come join me in DAC, October 22. All right, so let's dive right into my interview with Natalia Shelburne, Straight from our live podcast show, our first one ever, mind you, brought to you by General Assembly NYC. So, Natalia, first, tell us a little bit about your journey to tech as a career. Well, the first thing I want to address is everyone's like, how old is she? You named a lot of things because it sounds really good. And yes, I write my own bios, which is my first piece of advice to everyone is please narrate your own journey. Don't let someone else do it for you. But my journey to tech, I call it the scenic route. I majored in art. I learned to paint. I did psychology. You know, I painted paintings. And my only interest in technology was a lifelong love of computers that was discouraged by everyone around me. I laugh now because it's funny. No, it is funny, though, because a lot of people give you unsolicited advice, especially based along gender lines. So you've said in the past that you were sort of socialized and encouraged to develop those softer skills, your artistic skills, your people skills. 
and really discouraged from entering technology and really diving into your love of computers. Tell us more about that. I think what you said earlier about at my in my mid-20s, I found that like I had climbed to the top of a ladder I didn't really care for. And that was the ladder that I was encouraged to climb. You're so creative. You're so good with people. You can't possibly want to sit alone in front of a computer and do whatever those boring nerds do. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a bit of hyperbole, but just about every industry hears this. You know, you're too smart to be a teacher. I heard that one a bunch and was like, uh-oh, who's teaching our kids? If everyone's hearing this, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. It's like, well, it didn't really come from me. I had some like clear voices, name names, taker seats, like who told me like, you're a people person. You don't belong in tech. We're like, I mean, well, but, mm, you know, so that's definitely part of the journey is like, that's why it was the senior group. Because every time I'd be like, hey, I want to take a class in, in, in the, no, you're not like, that takes math. You do not want to do math or don't break it. <laughs> you're going to break the computer. Ugh. All well-intentioned, but very much derailing. And something else I hear often is that to be good at art is the opposite and antithetical to being good at technology or the hard sciences. Tell me why you think that's totally false. Tech people love their Booleans where they're like either this or this, like true or false. But that dichotomy between left brain, right brain was just a useful metaphor once. I was like, hey, you can think about it generally like this. And people were just like, are you a left brain or right brain? You can't be both. That's weird. It's like, you have two parts of a brain. Like, if you think about it for two seconds, like, I got both parts of a brain. I can do it. And, you know, a lot of the research that I went to grad school for secondary ed was just like, what is creativity? How do you teach it? How do you develop it? It's like, people can be creative in literally any discipline. I mean, it takes creativity to perform at a master level or a high level in any discipline. Like, sorry, you don't get dibs on it in art and you don't like miss out on it just because you also excel at logic. It's like, you can teach it creative thinking, just like you can teach critical thinking. Boy, does it just like when you simplify something, it just catches like wildfire through people's mentalities and people just find an arbitrary rule and stick to it. And those arbitrary barriers, like, there's enough out there that you don't have to add it for yourself. And that's, that's one of them. So let's get into the nitty gritty of making this career change happen. Cause you didn't just land anywhere. You landed at the New York freaking times, right? You're a UX designer. Landed. <laughs> <laughs> you found your way there. But the question is you rose in the nonprofit school where you were originally a teacher, you became a development director, you were running summer camp programs. What did it really look like when you said for the first time in your life, I'm going to give myself permission to pursue technology unabashedly? What were your first steps? My first steps was to look around everywhere and ask for permission. Can I really quit my job? Can I really quit? Am I letting everyone down? That's the truth of it. I didn't just like one day, you know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T walking out of there, like I'm going to make my own way now. It was more like a lot of just drinking wine, eating ice cream in my pajamas, being like, I'm too old to do this. And I have to learn so much. And there's kids who have been coding since they were five and they're building apps right now. And they're millionaires. It was a whole lot of like, how am I going to measure up against this? And so it didn't look pretty. Like anybody who now says like, oh, I just, you know, summoned my inner courage and I just did it. It's just like, yeah, you're leaving out a lot of parts where you're just like, 
You have to rally your support network. My poor husband, who is in here somewhere watching my baby. <laughs> She's over there. Yeah, watching our baby. Um, he can tell you, I, months of conversations back and forth about just like, what am I going to do? And it's just the emotional support that I relied on from a lot of my community was a lot, which is actually a lot of why I'm out here doing these things. It's like, I've got so much to pay back. I did not do this alone, but it didn't look pretty. It looked like a lot of eating humble pie and being like, wow, I thought I was, you know, humble and I took care of my ego, but it's like, nope, got to learn more humble lessons and just keep getting rid of that ego some more. Um, because it's really hard when you become really good at something to be a complete novice again. It's not a pretty picture. Right. I think there's that metaphor that instead of climbing a career ladder, it's now a jungle gym, which is not super pleasant from going on, you know, the top of this part of the jungle gym to like back down on the ground to climb some other part of it, which is very humbling. I also find a lot of us, even those who perhaps want to start their own company someday or their own initiative or nonprofit, we hold our dreams very close to the chest because to even say them out loud can almost feel anxiety inducing or just plain old vulnerable. And I wonder what did those conversations look like initially? How did you reach out to them? What were you saying? And what kind of feedback did you get that really helped you start to put a plan in place for making a transition? So one of the things that I think I really lucked out on was my background in education. I built myself a curriculum. I was like, I can teach a high schooler who doesn't care about art to paint. Like, I can do anything. I can take a room full of partying drunk ladies on their, like, fun night out and make sure they leave with a Van Gogh in two hours. I can do anything. What it really took was realizing that it's just as scary and as difficult for everybody else who is doing it right now but they're just doing it one step at a time. And you mentioned like you hold your dreams dear, near and dear. And that's like, yeah, what if the one thing I actually really care about, I finally found out I should, I like, it was always going to fail. Like that's a big, bad thing to discover. And so two things can happen. You keep saying, well, you know, next lifetime, I guess it wasn't meant to be. Or you can say, you know, keep building the dream bigger and bigger, waiting for a perfect moment that never comes. So that's really not your fault. You didn't do it. It's just, it was just too hard. You know, in tech, they call it idea debt. Like you build your idea so large, you can never actually take any steps forward because it's so specific that nothing else will do. And so for me, it was just like tiny steps every day. I just made up literally like a curriculum for myself. What my you know, big picture was like, I'm going to get a job. <laughs> like I'm going to make money again. Very like, I love, I'm very motivated by eating and living somewhere that has been paid for. Um, you know, but, but it was like, then every day I had just like, just a few minutes towards this was the bare minimum. And that's where I had to start. Like just a few minutes, like, while I'm still working. I'm still, I'm going to take a couple of minutes here and there when I'm tired. And that's, you know, it literally started like, I'm going to learn something for at least five minutes today. And after that, I'm going to get tired and cranky and think I can't do it. Tomorrow is going to be seven minutes. I don't know. And that's it. Like, I love it. I mean, it is a grand endeavor that can feel like perfectionism gets in the way from even starting to chisel away at that. But I really don't think there's any art to do it other than that, that consistency, that willingness to put yourself back in there each and every day. What I find interesting though is that perception 
problem that you must have run into that you've already alluded to a little bit, but people like to put people in boxes. Have you ever felt that when you're interviewing with somebody or you're having a coffee meeting with someone and you can just tell that they're like, oh, I figured you out. And you're like, no, you haven't figured me out yet. I remember trying to start Bossed Up and some of my political colleagues being like, what is it? Wait, what are you doing? Like, you're a political strategist. This is the box I've put you in. What was the process like in reframing yourself in other people's minds or just talking to people in the tech industry and being like, I can invite myself to the party. As you've said on some Medium posts that you wrote about this, if tech felt like a party that someone else was having a lot of fun at, that you weren't invited to, and you were about to show up alone. So how did you manage their perceptions of you? Uh, I didn't. Turns out you can't change someone's perception of you at all. What you said just really brings up an anecdote. I went to a, it was at a tech conference early on and I had not one, but two separate occasions where I'd be talking excitedly about something and I'd have someone like pause, look at me and have this like moment. I could see like some kind of light bulb going off in their eyes and be like, what, what, what are they about to say? And they look at me like, whoa, you're really smart. And I'm just like, what did you think? I, what was the initial? Like, how low was the bar? I'm just talking about stuff I read in a blog. Like, this isn't even like a lot. But yeah, the perception is hard. You start all of a sudden saying, yeah, I'm a web developer or yeah, I'm a new career choice. Um, and it totally feels like you're two seconds from someone saying like, no, you're not. I saw your LinkedIn. Doesn't say that. But you know, I felt like a big hypocrite when I was teaching students to paint and students of all ages from zero, <laughs> which doesn't really work very well to, you know, I had my oldest student was in her nineties. And I used to say like, you know, a lot of times you hear people say, I'm an art student or I'm studying this. And I'd be like, try, uh, try just saying I'm an artist and just kind of let that hang in the air when you do it. Like try just owning the term instead of kind of saying, well, I'm just learning or I'm still, you know, I've got the training wheels on and just like start saying it. I used to say that so confidently in my classes and just, you know, be like, and you know, oh, this is fine. And then when it was time for me to own and say like, yeah, I've made the career change. I'm a, I need to update all my social media, all my LinkedIn, everything to say like, I'm a software developer. I almost like, I was like, oh man, I'm a big hypocrite. Like now I have to, like, I put it out there. I talked a really big game to like, own yourself. Like, and I was like, it's still really, really hard. And so my only advice is just like, if you need a glass of courage or something, you know, have a friend do it for you, but you have to do it as early as possible because like there are enough people who are going to say you're not this thing. Don't be one of them. One of your pieces on Medium that really stood out to me when we were just talking about getting you on the podcast here was all about the fears that were in your mind when it came to entering the world of tech and how you sort of categorically debunked them for yourself. But it was also related to the bad press that's out there about women in tech. And there is a lot of bad press, although it's not at all excluded, like excluded to just tech alone. Do you think that the fears you were up against in your own mind were a direct result of that bad press? And do you feel like that bad press is deterring more women from getting into the field? And if so, what would you tell those women instead? When it really comes down to what gets clicks, what gets attention, it's the bad news. It's the, the you know, everything was fine today and you, you had a great day. And then you went, you know, had a drink with your coworkers and nobody harassed you. It was just a nice time. Like, 
you don't hear those stories as much. You hear the negative stuff, the extreme stuff. And, it, you know, just like in the news, it seems all doom and gloom, but it's also the safest time, in, statistically speaking, in the world. And it's, you know, more people are living above the poverty, poverty line than ever. And it's technically good, but it's hard to focus on that because when you're not a statistic, you're a person. And it's like, you have to make a decision. Am I going to do this? It doesn't look too good. And everybody's saying it's so hard, you're going to quit. And for me, I found personally that, like, for every bad work experience, they don't mention the awesome community of people and support that's there. You just have to find these communities cre or create them yourself. And there's room and opportunity there to support each other for every bit where, you know, and STEM isn't even that unique. Like, God, tech wants to say it invented everything. But, you know, I was in the nonprofit world and that is way more stressful than tech has ever been. Because if I mess up there, the stakes are much higher. You know, like if I'm not paying attention, a kid might get hurt or, you know, I don't catch that a student has depression or something. And, and then there are real consequences, you know, past the stock portfolio. I just found it wasn't that unique, you know, look at men in teaching. And that's another field where things are really unbalanced and they have to, you know, keep their doors open at all times and be treated like criminals if they're near a playground. I think it's just an example of anytime there's a homogenous population, things get weird and extreme and have weird consequences. And I think tech isn't even that unique. Like if you love it, your interest in it, your passion for it, or even just kind of general curiosity will be more than enough. Like build a community, build the support systems, and you'll find that it's actually, those are much more robust than the bad stuff. I like that you're making almost a moral argument for why more women should go into tech, which is like tech gets better when there are more women in it. And so I always want to take all the women who are leaving tech and be like, let's go start a tech company together <laughs> because I feel like if we can all stay more diverse, I, I think it's not about women or men. It's about diversity, which is not an easy thing to create because we humans love to, to stay in our own zones sometimes. It's just how we're wired. So last question for you. Give us the nitty gritty on getting a job at the New York Times, girl. How did this happen? I applied. <laughs> That's really it. I Aww, I was hoping there'd be more of a story there. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you know, but actually the only reason I really knew how to apply to like, I honestly didn't know that there was tech at the New York. I just thought of the paper and I was like, oh, I hope that's going okay for you all. <laughs> I do not subscribe to a paper that is paper. But I was actually, you know, one of the things I did early in my career was having worked in a nonprofit and been a community leader before, I realized like you cannot do this alone, like seek out other people. If you are working any industry and say you're the only one of your kind, you know, if you're the only woman and I'm going to like make sure like if you're the only one of your ethnicity, if you're the only, like just if you're the only one, find a network wherever you are and make sure that you can have someone to complain to about all this stuff and like reach out to this network because that's where your opportunities will come from too, because you'll watch out for each other. You'll help each other. And one of the places that did that for me was just the front end community that has a lot of conferences. And I was at one of these conferences and that speaking engagement that they helped me get prepared for. And that's where I met an engineer who worked at the New York times and just ended up striking up a conversation and be like, I didn't know you had tech there. And it's like, turns out there's actually so much going on. It's incredible. We're supporting journalism through amazing, cool things. And it's just, it's super cool. And then that's why when I finally saw this job posting, I ended up applying. Turned out they were trying to hire for it for like five or six months before I even saw the ad. Turns out I just didn't actually see it. I was looking, but I just 
didn't notice it. Like my brain, I guess, just was like, nah, I don't, I don't know what this is. And it was only when I met someone from there who told me about it that like all of a sudden the next week it popped up on my radar. And, you know, it was a direct result of being a part of that community and being a part of this larger social network of people who are just trying to like help each other out. So no real exciting story other than just like be nice to people, help people and help each other get through this whole thing. Because as grim as it may sound, it's actually a really incredible place where there's a lot more to be optimistic about than than there is to be pessimistic. As the industry matures and as a lot of these young startup founders hit 30, you start noticing differences like, well, should we get a 401k plan for our employees? Like as a starting thing, it's getting better and I'm very optimistic about it. Can I just say that for someone who's so into tech, that's a very analog way of getting your job. And I have to plus one that because that is exactly... Handed me a business card that was a paper card. <laughs> well, I am such an analog person myself. I'm a Sunday New York Times subscriber. I'll like Instagram my paper paper, which is the ultimate irony. But I also got my big break kind of job from a conference. And I'm going to have to do a whole other podcast on conference survival networking tips because when I was 20 years old, I was like a conference hopping fiend business card collector. I think I did an episode about my weird analog way of organizing business cards, like baseball cards, but that pays off and clearly it has for you. I did lie though. I forgot I have one more burning question for you. First, let's give a Congratulations on Claire existing. Congrats on becoming a mama. You recently became a mother and write wonderfully hilarious personal essays. I would be remiss not to mention. Accompanied by laugh out loud funny comics of your own creation at your blog, Boob Half Empty. Is that right? Boob half empty, y'all. So what have been the biggest joys and biggest challenges of becoming a mom? And has it shifted the way that you approach your work? Yes. So after becoming a mom, the two things that I find myself saying the most are thank you and I'm sorry. And the thank you is because you have to get good at saying thank you because you will need people. You will rely on that community and support network you've built. And I'm sorry to all the women who went through this and I had no idea. And so I'm just, that's why I'm publishing these essays. Thanks, Claire. She's my fan. That's why I'm publishing these essays. That's why I'm trying to be as visible with it. That's why I'm breastfeeding outside. I'm just like, y'all, we have to like talk about this. This is a lot. And I'm a lucky person who has parental leave and I was working in tech. So it's a lot. So it's really just about saying thank you. And I'm sorry. And I'm just want to make it better for everybody because of all the amazing women and men. Sorry, Tim. He's my husband's back there who have been there for me. So check out Boob Half Empty if you want to read about my specific experience in all of this. At the end of the day, the most rewarding thing is just how much fun it is. I had no idea. I thought it would kind of suck, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, because they tell you you're going to have to sleep in the lights and all this stuff. But it's like, yeah, but just like, you know, talking about all the bad stuff that happens in tech, you know, it's not as exciting to talk about the wonderful things, too. Everyone's going to be like, oh, whatever. It's like, no, it's wonderful. It's a delight. Sorry, I'll stop talking now, you know? And so... Um, those, those are the things. Here, here. Well, thank you so much, Natalia, for joining us. Give it up for Natalia. 
isn't Natalia such a boss? I hope you enjoyed that conversation with her as much as I enjoyed having it. Thank you again, Natalia, for agreeing to be a part of the show. And there are two other incredible women in tech who made our live show what it was. This coming Thursday, instead of our usual format for a five-minute or less boss tip episode, you'll hear the rest of the New York City live show, during which time myself and a badass panelist of women in STEM fields answered live career conundrums in real time from our audience. So you'll hear from Filipina pharmacist Erin Turingen, who's also the badass blogger behind a blog called Coffee Meets Polished, which you'll hear all about, and Nekpen Oswan, who is the co-founder of Women Work, which is a New York City-based nonprofit helping women, specifically women in color, grow their power and advance their careers. She's also a data scientist, and she just recently transitioned from a role in data analytics at Morgan Stanley to Deloitte. I can't wait for you to hear from these two badass women in STEM and hear how they joined me in answering on-the-spot career conundrums from our live audience. That's something I plan on doing as well at the next live show in DC, October 22nd, all about women and wealth. If you want to be there, get your ticket. It's 100% free to attend, and we'll have snacks and wine there as well, made available by our host, I strategy labs find the details and register today in the link in your show notes and now of course it's time for this week's boss moves moment of the week hi this is danielle calling from iowa my boss move is i recently got my employer to pay for a professional development course that i really wanted to take i'm an early career engineer in research and development i'm the only woman in my team of 10 And I found a project management course I really wanted to take, but I had been sitting on it for, honestly, a a while. (laughs) Ten minutes after listening to your episode, Get Your Boss to Pay for Your Professional Development, I drafted my request to complete with benefits to both me and to the company, plus the rest of the details. And less than 24 hours later, I got a very enthusiastic confirmation praising my ambition and approving of my desire to improve our team. And honestly, he was just impressed that I would ask for what I wanted. So thanks for the pep talk. It came just when I needed it. Yes, boss, that is what I am talking about. That is exactly why I make these podcasts. And I am so, so excited to hear that you immediately put those lessons to good use and got your boss to fund your professional development. Congratulations. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing your boss move. I know it's like an added chore on top of crushing it like you have been to then call in and share, but I feel so strongly about highlighting how other women are bossing up in their careers because you really never know who you're inspiring. I'll drop a link to that episode all about how to get your boss to pay for your professional development in the show notes today. So if you missed that episode, you can do the same just like our boss caller did today. And if you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to tackle next on this podcast, I'll admit it, we're running really low on boss moves. You may have noticed last week we didn't even have a boss move to include in the show, and we've got thousands of listeners who download every single episode. And getting you all to call in with your boss moves is really really hard. It's it's hard to get women to brag about themselves. It's hard in a world that tells women not to brag about themselves. So 
be a rebel, be radical, and give our hotline a ring right now. I promise we'll never pick up. Just leave me a voicemail and you never know if you'll be featured on the podcast next. That number is 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Thanks for calling in today, boss, and congrats. And now it's time for me to share my favorite review of the week. This one came in just last week from Alki dash 17. She wrote a really quick but very appreciated review in which she said, I really loved your triggering news cycle podcast. Thank you for doing it. In case you haven't heard, the world is pretty much going to hell in a handbasket, or at least it feels that way watching the news these days. And I'll be completely honest, I am recording this podcast before the Saturday vote on the Kavanaugh confirmation. So This is blissful ignorance from the past, not knowing what has gone down just yet. But either way, this has been such a triggering news cycle, and it's not the only one. We have many horrific news cycles to contend with these days. And last Thursday's boss tip, again, I kind of broke the mold. I didn't do a quickie, five-minute, tight episode for you. I kind of rambled a little bit because I've been feeling so triggered myself that I needed to come up with some coping mechanisms (laughs) for myself to get through these tough times. And I thought sharing them is the least I could do when so many people feel their rights being on the line here. And not to mention the horror story that is the double standard that we've seen on display between Dr. Blasey Ford and Judge Kavanaugh. So if you're feeling triggered, bummed out, depressed, in despair like I was, that episode might be a good one for you. And, and please share it with your friends if you feel like it could help them too. Thank you, Alki-17, for your review. I really appreciate it. I am listening every single time you leave me a review. I read it myself and I take that into consideration when thinking about what episodes to do more of, what episodes to do less of, and where to take this conversation next. So thank you again for rating and reviewing. We just passed the 200 ratings mark, which is very exciting. And the vast majority of them were five-star ratings. So I so appreciate your support of this podcast. You're the people that I do this for. So thank you for paying it forward because every time you leave a review or share your words on iTunes or Apple Podcasts right there in your app, it makes a difference in helping other people discover this podcast. I know things can feel really dark right now, but I'm convinced that the more we stick together, the more women champion other women right now, the more we take care of ourselves in the pursuit of taking care of others and taking care of the world the more sustainable we'll be in this fight for justice and for ourselves and for our own well-being over the long term. So as I always say, and I mean it more now than ever, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll continue to lift as we climb.
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.